I gave you a handout which is print out of the text that we're, that we're going to be looking at. And I did so because I kind of would like you to follow along as I work through these verses and just kind of see how Luke as a writer unfolds a specific aspect about what he wants us to know about Jesus. His um, overall theme that we have been looking at during these last few uh, weeks is that Jesus has come to seek and to save those who are lost. And up to this point, we have been seeing different episodes of uh, different individuals who have come into Jesus' presence and have seen the miracles that he has worked, heard the words that he has offered as words of hope to those who are looking for a release from whatever situation they are facing in their lives. And today there is no exception that here uh, in these verses we are going to come across two people who are in the presence of Jesus. And we're going to see the kinds of things that Jesus is going to reveal about himself that will speak directly to their situations. So I've entitled this uh, sermon today, Seeing the Forgiveness of Jesus. Now, I work at a public library, and there are many books that come across my path that are written by different authors who claim to be experts or professionals in different topics and subjects. So for instance, there might be books on exercise, and here is an individual who says, I've gone through this routine, or I've invented this routine of exercise, and I want to present it to you because I am now an authority on this topic, and I want you to be able to benefit in the ways that I have benefited from what I have discovered. Or there might be somebody in the financial account that who has been working in money matters and maybe investments or something, and they have worked up a system that they feel like here is a spectacular way for you to get your financial uh, words in order. Your world can become much better if your finances are lined up in this particular way. And the way that these authors take it a step further is by putting their own faces on the cover of the book so that not only will people become familiar with the type of program or something that they offer, but they will also identify a certain face with that program too. So that would be happening in the cooking world. You can probably think of the faces of different chefs that have been on television and have written books, and you know that if you see this chef, well, they're an expert in barbecuing, or they're an expert in fixing Thai type of, of uh, uh, meals and, and that kind of thing. So the, the idea is, is that uh, on a public level, when they are putting their faces, their images, on something that they are equated with, when we see that, then we are associating them as being an expert in that regard. Today, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be speaking about seeing the forgiveness of Jesus. And I want us to look at this time as an opportunity to see Jesus as he relates to the forgiveness that he offers. So, let's look at the verses. And I'm going to read these verses and just kind of give some comments as we go along. And again, I hope that you can kind of see how Luke as an author is kind of shaping his, uh, his, his way to kind of wrangle in an understanding of where does forgiveness fit into these people's lives. So it starts out pretty easily enough in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. 
And this is interesting because up to this point, the Pharisees have been seen as a group of people who are definitely opposed to Jesus. They've seen Jesus teach and act and his disciples act in ways that are not in line with how they have figured out how they should obey the word of God. And so in the encounters that we have seen so far, there's been resistance on their part and even hatred. And Jesus has stood in opposition to them also. But it's interesting to see that here's one of the Pharisees who has now taken an opportunity to invite Jesus into his home. Now we don't know exactly what the motivation is for him to do this. It doesn't say. It is, it is interesting that Jesus accepts the invitation. But this unnamed Pharisee, who knows what his motives are? It could be that because he has heard of Jesus' reputation, he is curious about who Jesus really is and he wants to find out a little bit more. So there might be an aspect of that he's curious about knowing more about who this Jesus is and wants to have a little bit more of an opportunity to speak to him kind of one-on-one. It could be that he is following a pattern that the Pharisees have before, where it's like, oh, I'm going to find a way to try to trap him in his words. I'm going to catch him. And I'm going to be able to find a way to finally prove that he's just a false teacher and that he doesn't really represent everything that people are, have been uh, talking about him. But we're not, we're not uh, sure exactly about what his motives are. It's not stated. But what is true is, is that Jesus, in accepting this offer, he's not going to be dealing with Pharisees as a group. He's going to be dealing with one Pharisee, just one person. So Jesus has come in, they're reclining at table, and if you remember the times of things, the way that they ate dinner in those times, we've talked about this before, is that there would be a central table and that people would kind of lean on their elbows, prone on the floor with their, with their feet away from the table. And then this would be how they would, they would eat in those times. But look at verse 37. Someone arrives on the scene. Verse 37, Luke says, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now we don't know who this woman is. She is also unnamed. But she certainly has... A reputation. And it is at this point that Luke, as an author, says, now behold, he wants us as readers to take a look at this woman and say, okay, now look, here's the setting. Jesus is sitting and eating with Pharisee, but now here's this woman who comes out of the scene. I want you to take attention, pay attention to her. Watch what she does. Notice who she is. So Luke says, behold, get our attention on this. She brought a flask of ointment. And this is what she does in verse 38. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with oil. An interesting thing at this point is, is that how was she able to gain entrance into this house? Typically at these, at these dinners, sometimes there were social fairs that were open to the public on occasion. People may not necessarily join in the feast, but they would be able to come and maybe sit at the perimeter of the room and observe and be able to benefit from the conversations that's going on. But if she is known by this reputation, if she is known throughout the city as a sinner, how, does she, how is she allowed to come in? Somehow she's been able to gain access 
And this is what she's, and, and um, notice then what she is doing by her actions. She is standing behind Jesus, and she is weeping and crying. Now this isn't just uh, sobbing and a little bit of tears. This is like an outpouring of tears. This is like a flood of tears. This is like an emotion that has overwhelmed her and is now being expressed to the point that her tears are just coming down not unlike a flood and is able to be enough to wet the feet of Jesus as he is, as he is lying there. And not only does she do that, but she wipes the, the tears and the wetness from her teeth and kind of is cleaning Jesus' feet at the same time. And then she is kissing his feet and then anoints his feet with oil. So if there is something to be paying attention to, if Luke wants us to pay attention, well, you can imagine that in this setting, she is getting all the attention. She has now become the center of attention. And what is interesting also is, is that nobody is saying, hey, cut that out. What are you doing here? Stop. And we don't even hear those words from Jesus either. It's just kind of like there is this quiet that has overtaken the room. And she has now, through her actions, been drawing everyone's attention. Not only through her sobbing, not only through her actions, but also that anointment, that ointment that she has anointed Jesus' feet with. That has just filled the room with a fragrance that everybody can share. So what are we to make of this? If you were to see this kind of individual who comes into the presence that... Uh, we observe here, what would you be thinking about her? How would you, how would you respond or react to that? Well, we're going to get two perspectives. Not only are we as readers looking in on this, on this uh, action, but also the Pharisee and Jesus have a perspective as to what's going on. So in verse 39, we first of all get the response, the, action, the reaction of the, of the Pharisee. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him, when, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, "If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner." This is the second time that she is referred to as a sinner. We don't know exactly what her sin is, but it is obvious that it is a sin that is distasteful. Because this Pharisee says, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman he is touching him. The degree to which her sin has been seen through, has been played out in front of the public is something that's repulsive. Some of the commentators that I've read have, have uh, indicated that her life might be one of prostitution that she is known as a woman of the street who gets around. And so that her actions are kind of reflective in this Pharisee's mind, possibly, that this is what she does for a living. Doesn't Jesus know that this is the kind of woman who is touching him? Why doesn't he do something about it? But he doesn't have an idea of exactly why she is doing this. And he is believing that this is probably being prompted from her sinful background. Her motives, possibly, are also just 
very much about who she is as a sinner and now she is enacting her sinful act upon Jesus. So, take a moment and think about it. Are there people in your life who you might have similar thoughts that as you observe the people that you know or people that you come across, what other kinds of thoughts do you have about them? Are there people that you are familiar with who you feel are leading a sinful life that is against your principles, that is against your way of understanding about what is true and what is proper? Are there people that you, in a way, draw into your thinking of like, oh, I could never be in their presence. I don't want to be people, people like that. And why are my friends associating with people like that? Are there people like that who you have in mind that, that um, you have those kinds of thoughts about? Now, if you were to take that individual and imagine them being at the feet of Jesus and doing something exactly of what this woman is doing, what would you think then? Would you think the same thing that this Pharisee is thinking? That they don't have the right even to be in the presence of Jesus. How could Jesus, who has this reputation, this is almost kind of like going to ruin his reputation. If he is a prophet, that is what Simon is thinking. If Jesus is a prophet, this is what he sees about Jesus. He's thinking, well, these people have been saying so many good things about him. He's been teaching these profound things. But really, if he's who people say he is, then why is this person being allowed to touch him? And why is she allowed to be in his presence? Well, Jesus doesn't want to leave Simon's thoughts unanswered. Now observe, that is what he was thinking. He was saying, now when, when he, and if this man were a prophet, he said to himself, if this, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what, who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. He didn't say this out loud, he was thinking this. But in verse 40, here is where Jesus now steps in in order to begin to change his perspective. In verse 40 it says, And Jesus answering said to him, Jesus answered him? The Pharisee didn't say anything. Jesus is answering his thoughts. So if this Pharisee was realizing that Jesus was a prophet, here's evidence of that. Jesus knew what he was thinking and now was going to speak to those thoughts. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. Okay, Jesus now gets personal because he names the Pharisee. He's speaking directly to this individual and he knows this person by name and says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now, I wonder if at this point Simon knew that Jesus was reading his thoughts. He didn't know exactly what Jesus was going to say, but he was open to hear what Jesus was going to respond to him because he calls Jesus a teacher. So at least on some level, he has a level of respect for accepting and receiving what Jesus was going to say to him. So how Jesus responds to Simon's thoughts is by telling a parable. 
And this parable for us today is very easy for us to understand. Let's read that in verse 41. A certain money lender had two debtors, one who owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. So this, like I said, is an example that we can all relate to. Because at some point right now or in the past, we have all been indebted. And he's using it in terms of a monetary debt. In those days, there would be people who would be available to give people money in order to cover expenses for something that they needed every day. Our experience primarily may not be with individuals, unless you are borrowing money from friends or family, but they are like the companies that we have mortgage payments that are due or credit card debt that we need to pay off. So we know the idea of what this is about we owe debts. And we need to pay those off. But what's interesting about the way that Jesus sets this up then is that he says, now, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both of them. Uh, I have never experienced this before. I mean, and I'm sure that the mortgage company that I am paying money to is not going to be out of the blue saying, okay, Brian, you've paid enough. Or will recognize that when I'm in dire straits, oh, you can't pay? Well, then we're just going to cancel the debt. I personally have not had that experience. I don't know if any of you have. But I know that uh, how these payments are set up is, is that we are expected to pay back. And we're not usually let off the hook. That there is usually other ways that are arranged to say, you are going to eventually have to pay off what you owe. But in this instance with this moneylender, the moneylender says, no, you cannot pay, I'm going to cancel the debt. And the question that Jesus raises then is, now, which of the people who borrowed money is going to love him more? And he asks that question because the two debtors had different amounts that they owed. One, in comparison, you can think of it in this way, that there is maybe somebody who you borrowed money from as a friend or family member that might have been $100. This would be seen as like the few denarii. And then there was, then there's another case in the other extreme where there is like thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars that are owed. And the moneylender says to both of them, your debts are canceled. Now Jesus wants to know of those debtors, those two debtors, which one would love the moneylender most? And Simon, when he thinks it over, He says, well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Okay, so now Jesus has also brought Simon into another arena of making a judgment. Whereas before he was making a judgment about this woman who had come in to the dinner and had drawn all this attention and was known to be a sinner and was enacting all of this uh, uh, crying and... and, uh, anointing to Jesus. Now Jesus has drawn Simon into another way of looking at a way to judge something. Okay? And Jesus says, Simon, in this instance, you're thinking that those 
to whom the greater debt was owed and canceled, you're correct. They would probably love the moneylender a lot more. And he addresses it in terms of love, which is an interesting way to relate, and an interesting way to relate uh, an experience with a moneylender and a debtor. You know, again, if, if a company were to cancel our debts, I don't know if I could say I would love the company. I mean, I would love the fact that my debts were canceled, but I can't say that on a personal level that there's one individual in there that I would love more. So there is a relational dynamic that's going on here. One person has lent something to someone who has not been able to pay it back, and now that debt's been canceled, and that person can love that money lender. So, he, so Jesus is couching this in terms of love. So now, Jesus wants to draw Simon's attention to something else. And he asks a question which is pretty obvious. If we look at now verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Now, on one hand, that could be, it's like, of course he sees this woman. Who isn't seeing this woman? She's, got, she's the focus of everything that's going on within this room right now. Of course he sees this woman. But Jesus' question is going deeper. Do you see this woman? Do you understand what she's doing? Then turning towards the woman, he says to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. And not unlike the way that Jesus sets up two debtors would have a different degree of, of debt that they owed, Jesus is now growing a comparison between the actions of Simon and the woman and saying, okay, now Simon, I want you to understand something. And the standard that Jesus makes for this comparison is himself. Because the first thing that he says is, after he says, do you see this woman? Jesus says, I entered your head. I entered into your house. Okay, so now look at this woman and now understand when I came into your house, this is how you acted towards me. This is how she acted towards me. In those days, the customs for hospitality or honoring people were reflected in how they were treated when somebody entered into their home. Their, 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 feet, their feet were typically washed. You know, you had people walking around in sandals on dusty roads, and of course their feet were dirty. So you would offer them, them to have their feet washed. There was also, if you had a little bit more familiarity with somebody, you have uh, a welcoming kiss. You know, I think we kind of see this in, in European circumstances where people are kissed on either cheek and that kind of thing. But there might be something a little bit more here too, that there is a familiarity, an association, and a, a more warmth behind it. And then in a way to show people uh, honor, there is an anointing. Now, I, I don't know exactly what the anointing would have to do, but there is this fragrance and acceptance and a, a way to honor somebody in that regard also. So customarily, these were actions that were done when somebody was uh, being received or entered into somebody's home. So on one hand, Jesus is saying, okay, here are the typical ways that, that we are received in this society. Simon, when I came into your house, you didn't wash my feet. But this woman, she has wet my feet and wiped her 
hair on my feet to cleanse and wash my feet. Simon, you didn't greet me with a kiss, but she has been ongoing, kissing my feet and expressing her uh, an emotion through her kissing on my feet. And Simon, when I came into your house, you didn't anoint my, feet, my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with oil. So he's drawing a comparison between the receptivity of the heart towards Jesus, to him. It's like, this is what you fail to do or were negligent in doing, and yet this woman has taken upon herself. And it's more effusive. It's greater. It's grander. She has expanded on it. There's, her actions have amplified those uh, actions a lot more. And then he draws to a point where he makes a few declarations. Jesus gets to the point. He says in verse 47, Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. So if we are to take this statement and apply it to the way that he, I'll lay out the parable, we can work backwards from that. In our parable, the question was asked, well, who loved the many lender more? The one for whom it was more was forgiven. So obviously, Jesus is saying, okay, she is showing an expression of love. Why? Well, because there was a debt that was forgiven. How come? Because it was a debt that she could not pay. And if you want to take it one step further, well then, who is the one to whom she was indebted? Well, then we can say that that was Jesus, and Jesus was placing himself in that role. So this woman had a debt that, could, that she could not pay that was forgiven. And this is why she is expressing her love towards Jesus in this way. This is what Jesus has come to do. He has come to seek and to save those sinners who are lost. So obviously the debt that he is getting to is his debt of that one of sin. She recognizes her, her uh, self as a sinner. But here is what Jesus goes on to say. For she has loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now some people, um, some commentators, are it's kind of hard to understand how to uh, relate this verse. Some uh, have said that it is because she has done these actions that on that basis her sins are forgiven. But that's not what's going on here. Again, we have to relate that to the parable beforehand. That she is expressing on the basis of the fact that she knows that she has been forgiven and is expressing in love to, um, to Jesus that, that truth. Sorry, boss. So, we've seen, a, we've seen a touchdown what Simon has seen. We've seen a little bit of what Jesus is, is seeing. Let's take a little bit of time and look at what, what we think the woman is seeing. She is not named as Simon is throughout, throughout this passage. But I kind of equate her to 
uh, the verses that I read from Psalm 130. That here she has been trapped in a life of sin. She has that reputation, she has seen, she is known for that. And she is in a helpless situation. I kind of equate her situation to what the psalmist expressed in the verses that I read from Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, hear me, hear my plea of mercy. That she has come to the end of the rope, that she has no escape from the life that she has been leaving, living. There's no way for her to leave that. And the things that she has been offered have been superficial. And the way that the Pharisees even have set up uh, a way for people to escape that by living according to specific rules that if you do this, then you will be uh, forgiven. As she has found that wanting. So she knew she was a sinner. Everybody did. But earlier in this passage, we, we saw that she, when she heard that Jesus was in this house, she came with ointment. So she came prepared to do something. We don't know exactly what or how she encountered Jesus before, but there had to have been some occasion where she might have either heard his teaching, she might have either witnessed his miracles. In some way, she came to the realization that here, this person, Jesus, was the hope that she was looking for. Here in Jesus, was the way that she could find forgiveness and release and cleansing for her sins. And not unlike the way that Simon had kind of invited Jesus into his home, when she encountered Jesus, it was not unlike the way she invited Jesus to enter into her life. And Jesus came in and gave her the forgiveness that she was looking for. And so it was obvious that her response was one of a depth of knowing the degree of her sins, which were many, had been forgiven. In verse 49 it says, Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? That's a natural question for those people to ask. And this question has been asked before, and we will see it later on in another verse, that when Jesus has been ministering throughout the land, there are people who are raising questions about, well, who is this person? And how can he declare these kinds of things? And how is it that he can declare that he can forgive sins? Well, the only way that they have as a reference point is to know that from their Old Testament teachings, it is only God who can forgive sins. And so it's not unlike Jesus is saying, I am the authority and the position. Basically, I am God. I can forgive sins. And I can bring that hope to you also. So when you think about the people that we have uh, looked at in these verses, I want you to think about who do you think you might relate to at this time. Do you think you see yourself as a Simon? Or are there occasions when you see yourself as a Simon? Where thoughts are pointed at people on the basis of an external reading that you have of them. We do not know people's hearts. 
We do not know ultimately where they're coming from. We might only know them as a reputation for how they've lived their lives or how we think they're living their lives. And we might be ones who are loving little because we are not ones who are forgiving others or we may recognize that or see or believe that we don't have as many sins that need to be forgiven. But we are... Um, so we are to see, um, not unlike what, what Jesus is pointing out to us and to Simon, that how he sees people are in a different, is in a much different level. He sees hearts and he sees lives as a whole and um, much greater understanding than we have. I'd like to think also, though, that there was hope held out for Simon because. Uh, and, and the reason why I do that is, is on, on the basis of two things. One is because Jesus talked to, talked to Simon directly. This is not a situation where Jesus is talking to a crowd of Pharisees. There are times, as we will see also later in the book of Luke, how Jesus is, um, what's the word I'm looking for, excoriating? I don't know if that's the right word or not. But he is—he basically is putting the Pharisees down. He's harsh to them, and he and he refuses to uh, allow them to say the things that they are saying. Um, so he gets angry. He gets mad at the Pharisees. But in this instance, I think that there is more of a um, there is a rebuke. He wants to change Simon's way of thinking. But I think on the basis of the fact that he names him, he calls him Simon. Now there are only other, I found only other, three other Pharisees that we know by name in the Bible. One is found in the book of Acts where there's a, a member of a council of the Pharisees who stands up and defends the practices of the apostles who are preaching the word of God in that particular city. The other two Pharisees that are named in Scripture are Nicodemus, the one who came to see Jesus at night, and also Saul, who became Paul. And in each of those indications, there's kind of a positive aspect about those people and individuals, a conversion, a reverting to uh, an understanding, a greater understanding of who God is. And I, and I kind of wonder, did Simon take what Jesus was saying to heart? Because not only did Jesus name him and address him personally, but I kind of wonder how did we how did we find out how did Luke find out what he was thinking? I mean, how, who to, who can testify to that? Unless, as Luke was writing, there was some special way that that the Spirit revealed to him as an author that this is what you should say about what this man was thinking. But I kind of like to think that maybe there was some time when Simon, when the light went on and said, yeah, I was missing something, and I want to tell people about what I was thinking at that time, and there was a way that he might have related that to other people. So I, I kind of would like to see Simon in a little bit more of a hopeful light, that there might have been something later on that he might have changed or been changed by this encounter. So we can see ourselves possibly assigned in two ways. Hopefully not in a judgmental way of putting people down and keeping them in the, in the boxes that, they, that we can place them. But that we are taking to heart God's um, um, teaching about our own thoughts, about how other people are. 
Or do we see ourselves as this woman? As a woman, as this woman, as a sinner. We recognize that we are sinners. But we are not hopeless in our sins. We are not hopeless in our sins. And the, and the degree to which this woman had fallen into a life that she had, there is redemption that she was that she was offered that brought her out of that and the forgiveness that she was able to take hold of. And I think that there now are three things, the three thoughts that I'd like to leave with you uh, as we consider about how we should see Jesus in this. First of all, that there is hope for us as sinners that is found in Jesus Christ. That we should not think that our situation as sinners is a hopeless case. Also, that love is prompted by forgiveness. She was loving much because there was much that was forgiven. That doesn't mean that we go out and sin a lot so that we can be forgiven a lot so that we can love a lot. It just means that on an ongoing basis we know and have an assurance that our forgiveness is assured and that we can love out of that forgiveness. And we can love in two ways. One is through just our simple worship here together as we praise our praises to God. But also I think in a more practical way, even though Jesus isn't here physically, we have people who are physically around us. So I think we can express our love that's prompted by forgiveness by serving others and loving others. Because as Jesus said also in, the, in Scripture, the way that you do it to the least of these, you're doing it to me. And then I think that the other uh, way that we can uh, express our love is to make known to others the forgiveness that we see in Jesus the way that we have been forgiven, we can make others aware of the forgiveness that is offered to them also. So let's pray. Dear Father, you are a gracious God. You are a loving God. And we thank you that you do not desire us to lead or remain in our sins. So Father, may we take hold of every day the forgiveness that you give. May we rejoice in that. May we share that with others. May we be servants of the earth that we can love others as you have loved us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.